Today, I'm here with Kimberly Johnson, who is a somatic healer, sometimes referred to as a vagiropractor, and is the author of a book called The Fourth Trimester. Hi, Kimberly. Hi. Thank you for joining us today, and already, I've had so much fun with you already talking, and I'm really excited to get the show going. Thanks. So I wanted to start with um, just everything that you do. There's so much going on and there's so many different elements to the work that you do. So if you don't mind touching on, um, you know, just the sex education and um, the gyropractor and somatic healing and um, telling us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I'm really on a mission for women to have a full experience and embodied experience of their sexuality throughout their life. And the way that we think about sexuality tends to be kind of narrow because we just think sexuality and then like sex. So that might even sound kind of weird to someone like, well, that's kind of weird to have like a full expression. Like what, when you're like 12 or whatever, Mm -hmm. what does that even look like or mean? Um, That's I think what we're all discovering together right now, as we begin to look at the atmosphere of shame that sort of a cloud over sexuality overall in Mm -hmm. most cultures. Um, So I work in the body and through the body um, because the body is the living record of everything that we've been through. And we usually think it's our mind, but our mind actually is not an accurate representative of what's happened to us. It's an interpreter of what's happened, but the body actually carries our real archaeological record. And so I'm always listening to the body and helping people listen to their own bodies and tracking their body's wisdom. And I'm specifically interested uh, in the postpartum period because that's when my own journey, at least this chapter of my own journey started. Mm -hmm. Which is called, you're calling it the fourth trimester in your upcoming book? Yeah. So my book's called the fourth trimester, which really means like the first three months, just because like yeah. the first three mm-hmm. trimesters when you're pregnant, the first three months after that. And that has a very specific tone, but postpartum in general just means after you've had a baby. So yeah. it's the whole transition to motherhood and everything we go through as women, when we become mothers physically, emotionally, sexually, relationally, spiritually, that's just not talked about. So all that's talked about is postpartum depression. And in fact, people use the word postpartum as kind of interchangeable with depression now like oh I had postpartum yeah. or my so-and-so had postpartum and it's like well everyone's had postpartum who's had a baby mm-hmm. um and it can be a very well it is it, can, it is a very powerful time but because of the way our culture is organized it tends women tend to feel isolated and lonely and confused and disoriented rather than strengthened and supported and nourished and heartened And so the book's really about how we can restore this piece of torn fabric in our culture and also in each of our lifespans because they're microcosm of one another. Yeah. So how, I mean, like, are you saying just through the people that you surround yourself with and your support system that you um, have? I mean... Yeah, it comes through... I mean, another reason why I'm totally fascinated and committed to it is because it has all of the characteristics is what I feel as a culture, the direction that we need to go. So right now what's happening is like everything is getting faster 
in input is coming faster, more stimulus, go faster, produce more, expose yourself to more. And it, in the postpartum period, it's really about slowing down and doing less and paying attention and being. Mm -hmm. And so what women need at that time, there's five universal principles of the postpartum period that you'll see in cultures all over the world, like everywhere in the world. Um, there is a respect for this time. I'm sure in your culture, like your native culture, yeah. there's traditions, there's special foods. Mm -hmm. There's, um, you know, in India, women go back to their mother's house. Um, in Turkey, there's, you know, there's just like rule, rules that are followed because it's accepted that this is a very specific physiological moment for a woman and that she needs to be exactly what the baby needs, the mom needs. Mm -hmm. And the mom needs to be receiving that from other women. Yeah. So those needs are rest. Um, so there's a period of confinement that's usually between 30 and 42 days where really, you know, midwives say five days in the bed, five days on the bed and five days around the bed. So like 15 days, don't go out of your bedroom type mm -hmm. thing. I mean, you see what happens around here. I'm sure like in 15 days, people have their kids at pizza port and the park and like I'm back at the gym or the yoga class. There's so much pressure to just keep going. And part of that is almost the shock of what it feels like to be in a rite of passage because we don't have many of them. Mm -hmm. And so as we find ourselves in this transition and there's so much, you know, especially in this, the conscious community and wellness world and goddess, everything, there's a lot of pressure to like be this radiant, beautiful, stellar birth is magical and, and it is magical, but there's nothing not magical about real as yeah. well. Like I say, I'm a devotee to realism mm -hmm. and I find myself repeating to my clients like reality, like reality. Yes. Okay. You can use your mind to control your reality, but like what is so wrong with our earthly experience that we need to create all of these methods of like control and, you know, even vision boardings like become this crazy obsession of yeah. like, I can control this. And if I, and then if I, if I don't get what I want, it must be because I didn't do it good enough. Cause it you have be, a block. Yeah. I yeah. have a block <laughs> or like, you know, so then I should do something else rather than like, wait, what's just like coming up from the earth. That's like this earthly knowingness that mm -hmm. all of us have. That's going to look really different for each person. Mm -hmm. And it's half and half. It's like half here, like half, like, okay, what's me and my Dharma and my path and my really soul mission. Like, what am I here to do on this earth? And then like, okay. Yeah. And like, what is out here for me to, to feel into? So have you always been this intuitive? I mean, you touched on this a whole journey happening while you were in postpartum, but mm -hmm. it must come from, you know, I've always been very sensitive and I've always, yeah, I've always had a close relationship to what's true, mm -hmm. but it hasn't always been as easy as it is now. Yeah. Now. I mean, that's the total blessing of getting older. I love getting older and people are like, no, you don't, you like evolving. I'm like, no, I actually like getting older. It's wonderful. It's like, I feel so much more comfortable in my skin than I ever have. I feel so much less apologetic. So, so much more excited about like what's coming. Yeah. Um, I've had major descents in my life, the postpartum period being one of them. And I think I was fortunate because I had had two of them before that, like real, like, come to Jesus, almost psychotic break type, have to stop everything you're doing and like lay on the couch for several months type of breaks. 
And so, you know, th those are a part of life and they happen. And, um, in those deaths, I got closer to my intuition and compassion and ability to see and ability to convey my sight in a way that's useful for other people. Yeah. So how did you go about learning about all the work that you do and educating yourself? Yeah. And so I, I was a dancer and then I was a yoga teacher and a, um, rolfer for a while, like 15 years. And I, and can you expand on rolfing? I know. Yeah. Rolfing is structural body work. So mm -hmm. it's like very technical, precise, almost like body sculpting through the fascial layer. So through mm -hmm. the connective tissue, which creates the structure and shape of the body. So I was a real like body magician in a way. Mm -hmm. And I, I was very dedicated yoga practitioner. I went to India a lot. I, um, it's a different version than what you see now, because when I started yoga in 1993, it was still weird. It was yeah. still hippie-ish. It was still like, not everybody had mala beads and not everybody had, there was only one company that sold <laughs> yoga mats. That's insane. Hugger Mugger. Yeah. Seriously, you could get Hugger yoga mats in three colors from one company. There was, that's it. Now there's design your own yoga mat and you know, there's a million companies, whatever. There's like, it's, there wasn't a yoga brand at the yeah. time in San Diego there in, well, in North County, San Diego, there were two yoga studios. Wow. There was Ashtanga yoga center and there was North County yoga center. And originally there was just North County yoga center and Tim Miller was there and then he branched off. So, mm -hmm. um, that just gives you an idea. My first yoga class, everybody in the class was like 15, 60 year olds and me, and I was 19. So that was really amazing training in mapping my body and mapping my mind in a certain way. Um, I worked one-on-one -on -one with a yoga teacher in India for four months that was very intensive and eventually very dismantling, but it did give me a lot of insight into the workings of my mind. Mm -hmm. And then when I had a baby, I realized like none of my practice was relevant, that everything that I had learned was basically men's practice designed by men for men, passed down by men. Yeah. And now in a milieu where almost all practitioners are women. And then I had a baby and my body was totally destroyed. And I was just like, nothing that like, this is all irrelevant. And there's nobody for me to ask. Like there's where are the elders, where are the women yoga teachers who are mothers? There's very, there were very few of them that were at the tier of level of practice that I was at. Yeah. And so I, I had a severe injury I'd never been injured before. Um, I was totally healthy and prepared for the birth, I thought, and like confident. And so I was really surprised that I was injured. I didn't really even know that that was possible. What happened? What was um, your injury? I had a really bad tear. So my perineum tore mm -hmm. and it tore very deeply. And then I got stitched with material that my body rejected. So it didn't heal correctly. Oh my and gosh. so I had like lower back SI pain, um, fecal incontinence, which is when you poop in your pants without having, like having the desire to go, wow. uh, um, organ prolapse. So my uterus and cervix were like dropped lower than they should have been. Um, I had a separation in my abdominal wall that wasn't healing. And so it made everything really hard. It made carrying my daughter hard. It made, um, eating difficult. I couldn't walk for a long time. So I just started researching. And when I researched, all I found was like thousands and hundreds and thousands of entries on postpartum depression. And I was like, this is fucking depressing. Like, yeah. yes, I am depressed. 
but I don't need antidepressants. I need help. Like I need help for like, how am I going to fix the fact that it feels like I feel completely disoriented and like, it feels like my organs are going to fall on the floor. Yeah. And that's a feeling that you can't really understand until it happens because you're just used to having your pelvic floor working. So, um, like you're just not connected at all. It's just doing its own thing. It just feels weak, loose, and like it's literally there's no foundation. So I went on a search of like, okay, I was told by a doctor I needed a full surgical pelvic floor reconstruction. And I'm like, there's no way I'm doing that. I'd never had, I've never had surgery before. Like I'm not doing it now, especially not on my pelvis and the most intimate part of my body. This can't be all that life has to offer. So I went on a search and I found sexological body work. And I found somatic experiencing trauma resolution therapy and a lot of other things. It took me six and a half years to heal myself completely to a point where I had my life force totally back. I can use my body however I want. I have like full range of my sexual capacity and expression. And then I, you know, early on, like two years into it, when I found out about sexological body work, people started telling me their stories. And I just realized how prevalent it is that women have pelvic pain, even women who've never had babies, painful sex, pelvic pain, scar tissue on their cervix from a colposcopy, HPV, um, herpes virus questions, um, ovarian removal, cysts, can't have orgasms, and all of these places that don't, there's no one person to ask that has the questions, answers from an embodied perspective. And mm -hmm. there's all these categories. So like, say your thing is about orgasm or pain, you go to the OBGYN, they're going to answer that in one way, which is usually just like do kegels <laughs> or like maybe go to PT if you're lucky. And then if you go to your therapist, most people don't talk about sex with their therapist. There's some kind of like complicit agreement yeah. that like you don't go there. And then there might be some gender thing there too. Like maybe you have a male therapist mm -hmm. and you're a woman and that feels kind of weird. And then your massage therapist just drapes your breasts, your belly and your genitals. So like that's not part of that process. So there's just all these ways that like our sexuality is compartmentalized and parceled off. And I realized that was like unacceptable to me. And that like, just from a purely therapeutic perspective, um, it's part of misogyny that like this part of our body is left out of care. Yeah. And in Chinese medicine, they say women are 10 times harder to treat than men. And that's because of the complexity of what it means to have a reproductive system and like how we change throughout the cycle. And you can tell that Western medicine isn't putting 10 times as much focus on what that means to focus on the women that are the life sustaining part of the culture. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I just dedicated myself to filling that gap. That's amazing. And how did you start to get familiar with the female body in terms of like working with it intimately with other? I went to sexological bodywork school. So that's like six month school of intense training, giving lots of sessions. Um, it includes arousal. So it includes like watching people self-pleasure, being watched, self-pleasuring, 30 days of self-pleasure practice with um, reporting on it. Um, all kinds of unshaming exercises so that I can actually be with someone else and hear about where they're at and not have my own triggers be like going off right and left. Yeah. And there's just so much I didn't know. I mean, one example would be like, well, first of all, I hadn't seen that many vulvas. Like I'm, <laughs> I've 
been in largely heterosexual relationships and you can't see that much from the front view mm -hmm. unless you're like someone sitting here like this, yeah. right? So I hadn't really seen many. So I first just had to get familiar and like look at more and understand how varied anatomy is. And, and that's part of sexological bodywork school too. And, um, learning about sex work and learning about like, what does that mean for people? And, and we have so many prejudice. I had so many stereotypes and like, m just in the sex works workers call it like implicit horophobia. Like there's so many ways that I thought that it worked that were completely wrong. Um, and, and, and that now you thought it or that you thought what? That I thought it went. Yeah. Like I thought I like, for instance, I thought when I thought of prostitution, like I thought of people who were like desperate, who maybe were trading sex for drugs, mm -hmm. um, traumatized, don't uneducated, don't have better choices. And that's just like wrong. Like yeah. there's all different kinds of women that go into sex work for all different kinds of reasons. Some of them really love their jobs. Most of them feel like it about most people feel about any job. Like you like it some days, you don't like it other yeah. days. You want to work sometimes you don't want to work other times. Um, and I think that's an important part of the exploration because mm -hmm. actually many more women have either been escorts or strippers or sex workers than we would know because it's so, there's so much shame Stigma on that. It, yeah. So once I learn more about it, I've had so many more clients come to me and share that that was like a part of their journey. And because I went through that process, there's not that implicit like judgment about good or bad or what that means. It's just like, Oh, that is, that's a mm -hmm. part of this person's journey. And um, it just helps you treat them better or, or better treat them as a client, right? Just knowing that. I think that if I didn't do that, then they wouldn't be disclosing that and they might not have ever come to me, right? Mm -hmm. Because it would be one of those implicit therapeutic yeah. relationships. Oh, this person can't handle that. Mm -hmm. This person's going to think this thing. Yeah. And energetically, people can just sense that. Like my mm -hmm. nervous system is open and that there's not... I'm not going to take any direction or any slant on it. It's just going to be like a part of their story mm -hmm. that maybe has some gems and wisdom that will come through and maybe doesn't. Mm -hmm. Sexological bodywork school, somatic experiencing trauma resolution school. That's four years of nervous system tracking. So um, that's to work with all kinds of trauma from natural disasters to developmental trauma to um, car accidents to sexual abuse and sexual trauma. Um, and you, that was after you had your uh, daughter. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's all. My daughter's almost 10 or she is 10. She just turned on. Um, when she was two, I went, I became a birth doula and then, um, started going to births. I was already starting to do the pelvic work because I, as a rolfer, were trained to work in the mm -hmm. mouth and the nose. And so it was just different territory, but I had a friend who had had her tailbone broken during birth and no one had ever worked on it. And she was in constant tailbone pain. And so I was like, do you want me to just work on it? And she was like, yeah. So I just went there and it changed in 40 minutes and she's never had pain since. Wow. So, um, and how did you work with the tailbone? Anally. Wow. Mm -hmm. I put on gloves and used oil and that's incredible. And, yeah. but you had a lot of experience with Rolfing. You're just really familiar with the body in general. It's like you said, it's just different territory. So you're already yeah. comfortable. I mean, I'm straddling the line at all times between recognizing that we've lost touch with the sacredness of sexuality and how important and valuable our pelvises are and our vaginas are and how much information and alchemical power we have. And at the same time that a vagina is like an elbow or an arm or a yeah. shoulder 
that's another body part that is a continuous part. It's like the way that we look at it is like, it's either like the dark zone and like you down there and like, it's hard to even like contact with our awareness or it's like shining, flashing lights. That's like all we can see and all we're projecting, you know? Mm -hmm. So at, at all times I'm holding these two things, which is like, what is the true sexual expression for this individual? Like what does their sexuality have to tell them about their soul path? Because for women, those are like going right side by side, like our sexual biographies and our spiritual biographies are going to be like so tandem. Yeah. And then at the other time, like this is a part of the body that needs attention, just like every other part of the body. But you know, you go to an OBGYN, like somebody said, are your sessions like an OB visit? I'm like, fuck <laughs> no. Like, in fact, I'm repairing pap smear trauma and IUD insertion trauma. And every other time that you've gone and someone's just like stuck their fingers in your vagina without taking a breath with you without looking at you in the eyes without like making contact because everyone's so afraid to like touch the labia or the clit and transference and oh no is there going to be attraction and arousal and that there's like this lack of real humane and sincere contact yeah which is what we require when our genitals are touched mm -hmm. and if we don't even have an experience of that we don't know how to ask for that so a lot of times, like the first contact at genitally that I make will be like my whole hand on the whole vulva with, with gloves on. And I'm always clothed and wearing gloves when I'm working. And, um, a lot of people say like, wow, I've never, like, I've never been touched like this. Like this is rewiring me just this like contact mm -hmm. This just like soft, gentle, spacious contact. Wow. That's amazing. How many people have you worked with since you've started? Have you thought or like counted at all? I've never counted. Um, I mean, I'm going to say though, it's got to be in like, I mean, it's probably not in the thousands, but definitely in the hundreds. And are people finding out about you? Well, I know it's in the hundreds because I have boxes of gloves and <laughs> I'm like always buying new gloves. So I've gone through lots of boxes of gloves. <laughs> And do people find out about you through word of mouth mainly? Um, from my website, from word of mouth, I'm on a lot of podcasts. Um, I do Facebook lives. People send them to each other. Um, a lot of doulas send their clients to me. Some OBs know what I do and are starting to send clients to me. And you're talking about how you help people um, before having birth as well. I mean, just anyone can come to you. So yeah. So what I, kind of work my youngest you? client has been 15. Um, she came to me because her mom called me and said that she'd never had an orgasm. That kind of blew my mind. Cause I was like, okay, this is a little, the mom had it or the daughter. No, the mom yeah, called me okay. to tell me that her daughter had never oh. had an orgasm and that's why she was bringing her daughter to me. Oh, wow. So I had no idea what the session was going to be like. Cause I was like, oh, that's very unusual. But then when her daughter got there, the session became something like I thought I was probably going to do like an educational session about just anatomy, how our bodies work, like what an orgasm even mm -hmm. is, um, wh how that like what are. Yeah, what are ways of contact and connection and all that? But it turned out that she'd been having a lot of sex since she was 13, almost every day with different partners um, using drugs and she was at a point where she knew she didn't want to do that anymore. And she was very disconnected from her body. And so she was wanting to get more connected um, with her body. And 
um, we didn't even do any touch work. I gave her, I think, eventually four sessions over two years. And the last session, we did some touch work. Um, I've had other clients in their late teens who are also coming to some people just come and, and like take off their pants and they're like, what is this? Like, what's <laughs> yeah. all this? Like, what's all this skin? And then it's like, <laughs> oh, well, this is like this your inner labia are like very ornate and um, flowery. And, and they're like, is it is like, is it normal? Like, is there anything wrong? Like, no, there's I mean, most people are coming because they want that the answer to that question. Yeah. Am I normal? Is there anything yeah. wrong with me? Um, everybody, because of this like shame valence that is happening on a personal level, on a family level, on a cultural level, and so many messages now, I mean, I feel like even the conscious sexuality movement is just adding more pressure. It's like, now it's not just your doctor saying you should orgasm because it's healthy, or it's not just the magazines that are saying now it's like, oh, but if you're like a goddess, you're multi-orgasmic and you can squirt (laughs) and you can do all these things. And it doesn't really address like just the underlying fundamental humanity of everything that goes into our sexuality and our sexual behavior and our sexual expression. Yeah. Like how you get there and why you want it. And, mm-hmm. um, I think that's also a big, what one you would too. get if that actually happened. Yeah. Why it's important to you. I'm really interested in learning about just physiologically what things could be happening that might not let someone um, experience that. Mm-hmm. It's, it, you, we can't really just separate physiology from everything else. And a lot of times there's desensitization. So like oh, if someone comes back to me for more than one session, and I usually only work with people, like I mentioned this one woman that I saw her four times over two years, like usually my work is one session or three sessions, or maybe over time, a couple more, but not usually. Um, there's just a, we have a lot, like, as women, we're very naturally attuned to universal energy that kind of lives from here up. And it's a process for us to bring our awareness into Mm -hmm. our pelvis. And as such, a lot of times there's not as much sensitivity in our vulva, in our vagina, in our cervix. And so sometimes that neutral contact um, that can be muscular, it can be energetic, it can be all different kinds of things, just sort of opens up that space to like the possibilities of, of sensitivity and feeling. Um, it is, I believe that orgasm is kind of like a flower blooming. Like if you are a pot water pot boiling, if you just are like looking at it and staring at it, it's not going to happen any faster. It's like all the conditions have to be in place for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And you can't force yourself to let go. And it's a letting go feeling, which is the same as giving birth. It's our parasympathetic nervous system. So when our sympathetic nervous system of like action and drive is in place, yes, that's adrenaline is part of it, but there also has to be the relaxation and letting go and opening. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's more of an outcome than a doing thing. And people want doing exercises. Okay, I'm going to get my jade egg and then I'm going to like do this and I'm going to, you know, all these things (laughs) to do. (laughs) Yeah. And I also find that people like for me, a full, a full sexual experience is usually at least three or four hours Mm -hmm. and full female arousal takes 35 to 45 minutes. And most people recommend to not even have penetration until you've already come to full 
arousal and that penetration happens after that. So, um, that's a whole different picture for most people. Yeah. I mean, it's not like you have to take the time to go there together and make it this experience rather than like, okay, we have a few minutes, like let's go and not think about that. Yeah. Like the quickie can happen occasionally and every once in a while, but, um, that's what happens postpartum is that it's really about the feminization of sex where female pleasure has to be at the center of it. Yeah. And so women don't want hard and fast friction anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's disorienting because if they were accommodating that before and because we're all conditioned that that's what men want and that's how sex looks and that's mm-hmm. what hot, good sex looks mm-hmm. like, um, that it's very hard when you're already in a vulnerable place to start communicating about that postpartum. Yeah. But in general, as women were like an Indian temple where like you got to arrive in the town first and then like you come to the gates of the temple and then you take off your shoes and then you walk up and then you pranam at the entrance and it takes a long time to get to the inner sanctum. So to really, you know, we condition ourselves to just go over threshold and override and like, you know, no, I just want penetration right now, right now, Mm -hmm. right now. And even people who ha- are having orgasms in that way, like in the sex world, they call them genital sneezes. It's basically just like a ramp up of arousal and then a dip right after like the stereotypical male experience. It's like I come and then I fall asleep. Mm-hmm. That's just an, that's just like a lack of nervous system resilience to hold sensation and to like develop a capacity to be with like a large pulsating energy that can continue to grow and this necessity to just offload it. Like you see when people, if you see somebody that's starting talking about something and starting to get activated and then they just laugh or they just joke about it or they start to cry. Like that's also a lack of nervous system capacity to be able to hold hold sensation and deep feeling. That's such a good analogy. Yeah. Just like yesterday we were talking about how, um, there's this practice in Asia where they say, or actually it wasn't a practice in Asia. It was... (laughs) That's, I'm totally wrong. It was Eckhart Tolle. (laughs) He was saying like, but I think it is also a practice in Asia that we're referencing as well. But he was just saying like, if you want to start meditating, start with one minute a day Mm. and then just do it one minute. And then every month increase that minute. And the practice, I forget what it's called in Asia, but it's just basically the consistency behind it. And then really what you're saying is like the capacity to hold that space and to hold that just grows and yeah it's with everything yeah in the kind of work that I do the principle is called titration it's a chemist from chemistry where you have two substances and for if you want to change one substance into another you do like a drop at a time instead of just pour the whole thing in and then the thing will explode you'll just cause a big old explosion that's kind of like the cathartic way of doing things. And I think what some people are wanting and expecting because that's very high stimulus. So for people who are used to operating on adrenaline and doing everything and going and running a triathlon and doing their full-time job and, you know, and every like high performance, then if that experience isn't that mind shattering, it's not ayahuasca. You didn't meet the fucking grandmother with it. Then you're like, Oh, I, that's like a bummer, you know? And like, just the like magic (laughs) of like touching someone else's fingertips and like holding hands is not, you can't, it doesn't even register. You don't even feel that it just, it's like, it, it just wipes off your radar. So like full sexual expression 
is actually really subtle. It's not about anal sex and more partners and doggy style and, and our imagery of like, well, if I was really sexually empowered, like this is what would, I would be okay with all this. And maybe I'm just going to try to be okay with all of it because that's what my imagination says it should be. Mm-hmm. It's actually like getting really quiet and like really tuning in to like, maybe what my body wants right now is just like, maybe I just want to like put my hand on my heart and like breathe with this person or yeah. Maybe I, maybe there's something I need to say. Mm-hmm. Maybe I call it street cleaning. Like maybe there's some street cleaning. Maybe there's some like stuff that's in the way that if I don't say it, I really can't even move a step closer. Yeah. Or if I do, I'm betraying myself mm-hmm. and I think I can't trust this other person, but I actually can't trust myself. Mm-hmm. What's your, like you touched on your message, but what is your hope for your clients and the people that you're about to touch with your book and what do you want to share with everyone? Well, I mean, I have a daughter, right? So I want her to grow up in a world that is safer where she has greater access to her own voice and where she feels, um, that she can, yeah, that she's not disconnected from her own power and her own ability to express her power. Uh, I want women, new moms to have the care that they need. I want care providers to understand what it is that women need. And I want women to advocate for themselves to get the care that they need. Mm -hmm. And as communities, I want communities to support women at that phase. Um, I want women to have access to full sexual expression because that really means if a woman has that, that means she's in touch with her divine soul purpose. She Mm -hmm. knows what her core image is that she came into this world to live out. And there's mystery to that. And there's twists and turns to that, but there's also an unlimited amount of power when we identify that. And as I said, that full sexual expression is going to be unique to each person. And it's going to be, it's not going to look like what we think it will look like, but I'm committed to helping women discover that. And I mean, it's happening all the time. Like yesterday I had a client come to me who's three years postpartum and she hadn't had any penetrative sex and just really wasn't even interested in any sexual contact. And she had had a really traumatic birth. She'd, she'd prepared for an unmedicated birth and she ended up in a cascade of interventions with a forceps delivery, with an epidural, um, fourth degree tear, tons of scar tissue. And she kept telling her care provider, like, I think I have a prolapse. And they kept saying, it's fine. There's nothing wrong. And she kept saying, but it doesn't feel fine. And then they'd say, okay, well just keep having babies and then we'll give you surgery when you're done. And you know, it's a prolapse Prolapse is when your organs drop below the place where they're supposed to be. And it feels like bulging or fullness. And some people can see their cervix from their vaginal opening. And if it's really bad, which is very uncommon, the, your cervix will even prolapse outside of your vagina. You can also have a rectal prolapse where your rectum starts to kind of go like inside out, like a sock. Um, so and they told her that that's fine. Uh, well, like they, you- first of all, we're just like, oh, it's not that bad. And then, yeah, it's fine. Just like live with it and then we'll give you surgery. But surgery for it is not very effective. You have to have surgery if the organs are all the way out, but that's very rare. And um, there's a lot that can be done holistically. I work with it all the time. I help women heal prolapses all the time. And um, there's just a lot of 
need for women to have embodied experiences in their pelvises and, and to know, like, sometimes I touch women's cervixes and I'll, I'll say like, okay, so now I'm touching your cervix and sometimes they can't feel it at all. Sometimes they can feel it. And then once my hands are there, they're like, wait, what does the cervix do again? And then I'll say, well, like, this is the place where menstrual blood comes out of. This is the place that expands when you have children and it changes shape after you have a, have a child. It may come down a little bit farther when you're menstruating. It may be a little bit higher up. When you have an orgasm, your cervix pulls up and back away from your vaginal opening because its biological function is to kind of suck the sperm up. Mm -hmm. um, you might feel it a little bit more in certain sexual positions than others. You'll feel the impact there. And it's a different feeling when someone's actually in contact with that spot and you can connect to it internally than just looking at an anatomical drawing or um, having it described to you. Because surely these women are very educated. They took high school biology. Yeah. They know what a cervix is. But in terms of mapping that in our own body in a place that's invisible, it's harder to visualize. It's mm -hmm. harder to kind of be like, well, where where would that be? And how would that be? Even mm -hmm. in yoga, that's left out of yoga nidra. Like if you do visualizations, people don't talk about genitals. They talk about every other body part except for the genitals. Yeah. So it's a way of completing that map. And I believe that that is radically important to every individual, but I also believe that it's radically important to the health of our planet mm -hmm. and the direction that our planet is going is still in a very unhealthy masculine direction, not masculine, unhealthy masculine. Mm -hmm. And so as we reclaim our feminine power and we, and reclaiming it means feeling it means not, not these like like revelatory orgasms are fantastic, mm -hmm. but that's not the goal. The goal is to actually like be here in our legs, in our pelvis and feel that. And when we do, it's not so hard to defend ourselves. It's not so hard to state what we want proactively. It's not so hard to tell our doctor, I disagree. That yeah. doesn't feel right to me. It's not so hard to say, I'm changing care providers. I don't want a pap smear from you in a cold room where you're not looking at me and you're taking notes at the same time. Um, I need you to touch me in this way. Mm -hmm. It's not so hard to tell your partner, you know, I liked that yesterday and I don't like that today. Or I'm really sorry that I haven't told you all this time and I feel so embarrassed and I, and I really, I'm afraid you're going to feel bad, but I have to let you know, I, it doesn't feel good to me when you touch me in this way mm -hmm. and I'd like to be touched in this other way. Mm -hmm. And why do you think this is all coming up now? like the type of work that you're doing and you're empowering women? Why do you think that it was always there? Why is it now that more people are seeking it or finding out about it? Um, I, well, first of all, it started, I think with, yeah, this knowledge has always been mm -hmm. there. Postpartum care knowledge has always been there. We just forgot it. Yeah. So there's a remembering that's happening. Uh, I think it's happening now partially because people have turned like, 10 years ago, nobody knew what a doula was. And now everybody wouldn't even give birth without a doula. Mm -hmm. So I think that postpartum is the same thing. In five years, everyone's going to be like, of course I had postpartum support. Like, of course I went to get my pelvis checked out. Like you wouldn't have knee surgery and then just be like, all right, well, in six weeks, I'll just go start running and see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, That's what people do with cesareans. Oh, it's a major surgery. Four layers of your abdominals are cut through, your organs cut through. And the doctors are like, yeah, good. Okay. Six week visit. You look fine. No open wounds. Good luck. Like you need reparative exercise and reparative body work. It's just a physical necessity, but women's bodies haven't been valued. It's been like 
birth. Candy, the baby, comes out of the wrapper. The wrapper just like whatever, figure it out. I guess I'm a mom. I mean, and women say it to me all the time. I thought I was just going to have to live with this. Like I thought it was just like, okay, I'm a mom now, so now my vagina looks different, and I guess I just have to live with it because no one said, no, there's a way that you can work with this, and it's storytelling and nervous system tracking together with presence, and these things can change, mm-hmm. all of them. So uh, I think women are valuing, we're valuing ourselves more. We're seeing that like the martyr model of motherhood that we've inherited hasn't gone that well and that there's another way to do things. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to me and joining us today. It was super exciting and I'm definitely going to work with you (laughs) and come to your workshops. I'm super excited and hopefully host one here. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thank you.